We're in Ezekiel. So if you weren't here last time, um, and if you've been reading ahead, I, I spoke with one person that read ahead and they just said, that, that book's nuts, <laughs> right? If, if Ezekiel was analyzed, I think he'd be called like maybe schizophrenic, pathological, paranoid, possibly epileptic, have some kind of sexual regression. You get into chapters 16, 23, you're like, well, that's weird. Kind of delusions of grandeur. And I think if you told Ezekiel that, he'd be like, hey, thank you. No problem, right? So it has this kind of thing to it. And Ezekiel is a voice that pushes against all the other voices. And because of that, he's not really accepted. And I think the same thing happens today. Like there are these voices. I remember um, when I worked at Met One and there was this really bad financial crash. Immediately as investors came into all of us that were, had 401ks and stuff and said, hey, I know it's really bad, but um, now is the best time to buy. I'm like, really? <laughs> My 401k is a, now a 301k. It's turning into a 101k. It's going to a, no, now is the best time to buy. Like there's always like this, these voices that you're like, are you sure about that? Oh yeah. Does your job depend on this? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I may, maybe I'll try something else. There's always like this, these voices that are competing, like what side do we believe? And so Ezekiel really, he stands alone on this other side. So we saw that Ezekiel is really part of this fulfillment that God had prophesied would happen. He'd said, you guys are supposed to be this special group, Abraham's descendants. And through you, I'm gonna bless all nations. You're to be a kingdom of priests. That's what you're supposed to be. But you know, we looked at it. They just make mistake after mistake after mistake. And after 800 years of this, God says, okay, no more. And Babylon comes, swoops them up and brings back in 597, the second wave Ezekiel. And when they come back, there's this prophetic voice that keeps saying to these people, don't worry, we're gonna go home real quick. Don't worry, this is gonna be over next year. Don't worry, man, this is the best time to invest. That voice keeps going out and Ezekiel is going to be the one voice that says, no way. In fact, it's going to get worse. The temple will be destroyed. And they're like, no way, never, never, never. And so because Ezekiel is this voice that says it's gonna get worse and the temple is going to be destroyed, it raises all these questions then. Well, if that's true, what about God's promises to us? If the temple's destroyed, if things are gonna get worse for us, and they do, how are we gonna be a blessing to all nations? How is David going to have somebody that is enthroned forever? Why would God send his very own people into exile? And then on the other side of that, there's all these questions that are like, well, if that's true, how did we get so bad? How did we get to the point that God, Yahweh says, I'm done with you. The land is vomiting you out of it. You're going into exile. You're gonna be slaves in the most pagan city that has ever existed. So there's this kind of weight in Ezekiel, like how in the world does this all work out? We see all these promises of God, yet we're sitting in Babylon, rotting here. Are you kidding me? How did we get here? I read Ezekiel, and I always try to put myself in the place of what I'm reading. And I think, man, you could ask a lot of those same questions about America, couldn't you? Like, how did we get to where we're at now? How did we get as a country where we used to, pro we used to produce people like Jonathan Edwards, maybe the best theologian in the last 200 years? We used to produce Jonathan Edwards. Now we're producing Anthony Wieners. Like that's a major difference right there. Now he's the one getting the news and he's the one people are talking about. Like what happened to us? And then I also look at myself, like there have been times where I say like, how did I get where I'm at? How did I get so screwed up? How did I get here? How am I as screwed up as I am? How am I gonna fulfill my destiny that God has for me? Just like Israel, supposed to be a light to nations, a kingdom of priests, 
They're screwed up. How are they going to fulfill their destiny? Lord, I'm pretty messed up. How do I fulfill my destiny? How can I become the person that you want me to be? These are the big kind of issues that you're going to circle in as we go through the book of Ezekiel. And I'm going to do it, not today, but soon, very rapidly. So what I've done is on our website, you can click on Bible Studies, Ezekiel. I've done a chapter summary for every chapter, all 48 chapters. So if you want kind of a compass as you're reading and you're like, what is this chapter about? You might say that as we read chapter one. If you want to know like a compass, like what is this chapter about? I've given you like, they're, they're less than three sentences on every chapter in this book. So you can just go through and read and kind of have that. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So we're going to jump in now and try to tackle chapter one. We did verses one through three last time. We're going to do the rest of the chapter here. And we are in the first big major block of Ezekiel. That first major block is chapters one through 11. And what I title that chunk is this, God is gone. God is gone, chapters one through 11. Let's look, verse four. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind, the word wind there is ruach, As I looked, behold, a stormy ruach came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. That word gleaming metal, only Ezekiel uses it. No one knows what it means. He invented a word for what he's seen. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance They had a human likeness, but each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot and they sparkled like burnished bronze. And under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands and the four had faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings. Each of them touched the wing of another. I'm gonna need a glass of water. If anyone could give me a glass of water. Justin, thank you. Verse 12, verse 11. Such were their faces and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go, the Ruach, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro from the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Excellent. I'm about ready to lose it here. Mute. All right. I try not to do it that way. Sure. Yes, I will. Thank you. I just need to stop talking with my job. It's really hard. You can hear this kind of sloshing around, I'm sure. (laughs) It annoys you. If my wife is here, she just dropped somebody off. Charity, are you here? She hates like noises like this. Like, <laughs> she'd go insane right now. <clears throat> and I would hear about it later in a very nice, kind way. As kind as you possibly could be. But she would let me know. All right. <clears throat> so, Ezekiel's going to see some stuff. We get a description here 
of the very first thing he sees. He sees these four living creatures. And his description of them is telling us something, that these are super high ordered beings. And the way that you know that is their faces. Each one of the faces is like the top of that realm. So the first face is the face of a man, right? The Imago Dei. It speaks of intelligence, right? Maybe it should be the face of a woman, <laughs> but it speaks of intelligence, right? You've got the top of the created order right here, mankind, the Imago Dei. Then the next face is the face of a lion. What do we call lions? The king of the jungle, right? You got strength, that predator, strong. Then you have an ox. Oxes are the top of the agricultural ladder. If you look at success, it's based on your ox. Like the stocks, stocks used to be literally your oxen. How are your stocks doing? He's getting pretty fat, doing really good, right? That was your stocks. So you have this agricultural success. And then an eagle, king of the sky, fastest, highest flying, vision. What, what this is saying is these beings are these super high order beings, as high as they get. One note to make on them. You, can, you could spend a thesis project on these guys. Here's my one note on them that I think is really important. Verse 13 says, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. They are literally the burning ones. I like that. Here's why. These guys appear elsewhere in the Bible. One of them is Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah sees God come to the temple and with him are these guys right here. And they start to sing this song when they come into the temple and the entire temple actually quakes and moves. And the song they sing is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with the glory or the kavod of Yahweh. Brilliant song. That God is the thrice holy creator of the universe. Whenever you see repeated words in Hebrew, here's what it means. It's make, it makes it a superlative. It's adding like, Super, super holy. God is super, super holy. So these beings that appear with Yahweh all the time, when they look at God, what they see is his holiness. I've said this before. I think that's fascinating. They don't praise God for anything other than his holiness. They don't praise God for his power or his creativity or his mercy, or his grace, or his sovereignty, or his order, or his goodness, or you just go down the list. They don't praise him for any of those attributes. They praise him for one thing. He's holy. These extremely high level beings, God is holy. Well, Matt, what does that matter? Here's why, and I've used this illustration before. It matters because take this scenario. You have a single gal she has this massive trust fund and she's pursued by this young man who marries her. But then after a while, he figures out he can't get his hands on the trust fund. So after three years, he separates from her. Why did that young man go after that girl? Money, right? It wasn't out of love. It wasn't for her. It was because of what she might give him. But once he figured out, I can't get my hands on that trust fund, he said, uh, I'm out of here. Is that how we often relate to God? Like we're after God, not for who he is, the thrice holy God. We're after God because we want his trust fund. <clears throat> and he is all those things and he'll give us all those things, but that should not be the reason why we go after him. And entire denominations are built on how do you get 
at God's trust fund, are they not? How do you whack the God genie so that it will drop to you and me its three wishes? Entire denominations, books are written on that. I call it the Jesus is super Walmart Christianity, right? We avoid Walmart like the plague. Yeah, that place, all those weirdos there until we really need something. And then we go shopping. I need help with my depression. I need help with my marriage. I need help with my parenting. I need, you know, so we go shopping. And really we're after the trust fund. And so here's what happens. I talk with a lot of people and I have them say this, you know what? I used to be in God. I used to follow God. I used to be around God's stuff, but, but he failed me. When someone says that to me now, here's the Matt Heavily translation that goes through my brain. I couldn't get my hands on the trust fund. So I was out. Oh, I don't normally say that, but I sure think it. That's probably what went through. You wanted God to do so. You wanted to whack God in a certain way so that he would drop you your three wishes. And when he didn't, he just said, mm-mm. These absolutely high-level beings, top of the created order, they don't praise God for anything other than his holiness. They don't do a cash benefit analysis, a cost benefit analysis. Like, what will this give me? No way. They're around God and they just say, he is brilliant and they catch fire. They're the burning ones. I think if you want to catch fire, you learn a lesson from these super high order beings. It reminds me of music. Do you do a cost benefit analysis for the music you listen to? Like, what will this music do for me? Music does nothing for you. You know that. In fact, it costs you money. Fancy headphones, $400 headphones, uh, new speakers in your car. If you get tickets, music can be very expensive and it really puts no money in your pocket. But don't we love music? Yeah, why? Because it moves us. It's something so much deeper and stronger and transcendent. That's the way it's supposed to be with God. Throughout the Old Testament, you hear this repeated over and over. God was looking for a man that was after his own heart. Not after his own trust fund. What a man that loves me, that knows I am the thrice holy God and is consumed with my brilliance and I'll set him on fire. I think it's what happened to the disciples in Luke 24 when they walk with Jesus. They found out it's him. It's him, not what he can give us. It's him. And I personally have to repent all the time for Jesus is Walmart kind of Christianity. But I'm trying to figure out how I whack Jesus so he'll give me my three wishes. I have to repent and say, God, I want to be like these, these burning ones, these seraphim. I want to love you because you are holy, holy, holy. And I want to be consumed with that because that's going to transcend every other thing that's going to last. Forgive me for wanting out your trust fund. Help me to be about you. These guys get it. And that's what they do. So he sees these super high level beings. And then verse 15. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and their construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. And the rims of all four creatures were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose wherever the ruach, the spirit, the wind wanted to go. They went. And when the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit, the ruach, the wind of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels along with them for the ruach of the living creatures was in the wheels. 
Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse. Same word that's used in Genesis 1-6. Shining like an awe-inspiring crystal spread out over their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings and there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads when they stood still and they let down their wings. Well, no need to explain that. We all get that. (laughs) Right? I mean, this is like one of the most perplexing pieces of the Bible right here. And there's all kinds of ideas what it is. So I just grabbed a couple pictures. So here's, here's what... This is kind of an old school. You go back maybe a hundred years and here's how they would try to write what this looked like. Like, I think this is what it looks like. There, there they are. And it's like trying to get all the pieces into this. So a hundred years ago, go back about uh, late eighties and this is what you get. It's a UFO, right? There's a lot of serious people saying a UFO visited Ezekiel, all right? Today, here's what we get. The rims are high and awesome, right? (laughs) So what is it? Yeah, you can take that off. It's distracting now. (laughs) So what is it? Uh, Matt Heverly's take. I can be wrong. When the Pope travels around, what does he ride on? The Pope will be all right. Remember that little, the glass bubble <laughs> that I used to have in the 80s? Like, that was awesome. He'd be like in there in the glass bubble. I always thought, you know what they should, they sh- should have like a snow shaker in there. So it looks like one of those little, <laughs> like, yeah, that'd be perfect, dude. He's like brushing it out of his hair. <laughs> to me, this is the Godmobile. That's how God travels, right? He gets in his Godmobile, has his seraphim with him, and they go, they travel around. And so verse 20 just says that there was the Ruach, or the wind in the wheels, right? So this is wind-powered. God is into alternative energy. It's a wind-powered Godmobile. It's so awesome. My take, you can believe the UFOs or whatever else you want. Well, why does this matter? To me, this whole scenario, it's laying out something that's very theological about the nature of God. And here's what I think it is. I think God loves to go with his creation. Like God doesn't need a Godmobile, right? He can go wherever he wants. He can be wherever he wants. But instead, God grabs these burning ones that know his nature, these super high level created beings, and he's like, let's go to Babylon. And they go together to Babylon. That God is always into team. He's into being with this creation. He's into this partnership thing. And even when he travels, he's like, come with me. Join with me. Let's go. God doesn't want to go alone because he's in love, always has to have someone to express itself on. That's why the Trinity is so important. And so he's like, come with me. It's massive to me. And we'll get to this at some point in the King series. But when we talk about becoming kings and queens, there's always a question of like, what does that mean? Does that mean I get a rule over people? I don't think so at all. I think there's this other thing that happens that throughout eternity, we're gonna be like these super high level created beings. What do you mean, Matt? I'll give you one text. You can study it on your own. It's 1 Kings 22. And it's this, this, there's these glimpses that you get in the Bible that are real important. And very often we just kind of gloss over them. And I think you got to really stop me like, what in the world just happened in there? So in 1 Kings 22, here's the setup. Israel has been divided into two, 10 northern tribes, Judah. There's these two kings, Ahab's in the north, really, really bad king. God's ready to get rid of him. Jehoshaphat's in the south. Well, they have a common enemy. So Ahab invites Jehoshaphat up and says, listen, Let's go over to Ramoth Gilead and attack it. And so Jehoshaphat's like, oh, 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 hold on a second. Do you have some prophets? 
Can you bring in your prophets so we can ask them if that's God's will for us? Yeah, I got some prophets. So they bring in all these prophets and these prophets are all running around. They're like, you guys are gonna destroy them. It's gonna be a hundred to nothing. You're gonna take them out. And one guy has like horns. You're gonna push them like these with these horns. And they're just all doing the same thing. And Joseph had sitting there going, yeah, these guys are liars. Your prophets are all liars. Do you have another prophet? He just, he's really polite. Uh, do you have any other prophets here <laughs> in Israel? Yeah, I got this one, Micaiah, but I hate him because he always tells me bad things. That's the best person to have around, by the way. So Je- Jehoshaphat figures it out, ding, 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 call that guy in. Yeah, let's talk with him. So he comes in and at first he's really like sarcastic. He's like, oh yeah, go on. You're gonna push these guys right out. You're gonna destroy them. Yeah, do it, go for it. And Ahab's like, all right, knock it off. Tell me the truth. And so then he has this little story. He goes, this is what I saw. I saw Yahweh on his throne and the host of heaven was on his right side and the host of heaven was on his left side. And he said to the host that was around him, he said, how can we get Ahab to Ramoth Gilead? And one said something and another said something and another said something. And then one rose up and said, I know how to entice him. And Yahweh said, how? And this one said, I will be a lying spirit in his prophets, and I will entice those Ahab and his men to go to Ramoth Gilead. And Yahweh says, you will do this and you will succeed, go. Is that a crazy story? Yeah, you should pause on that story for a while. There's all kinds of things you should be like, what in the world was that? I'll do one, (laughs) the one that you probably don't want me to do. Here's the one I'm gonna do. I think Yahweh wants a host around him to join in in kingdom work. And that's why he's saying, what should we do? He has a goal. I wanna get Ahab to Ramoth Gilead. That's his sovereign goal. This is what I want to happen. But then he looks at at those that are around him and he says, how should we do it? Here's my plan. How do you guys wanna do this? And there's all these ideas floating around. And then finally he says, that's the idea. I believe personally, that's what you and I will do with him throughout eternity. As he stretches the cosmos, as he does brand new things. God's not done. Earth was not his final thing. I think earth, we have earth because it is the crucible that creates the kind of people that can actually rule and reign with God for eternity. That we can become that council that surrounds him and joins with him in this incredible work throughout the eons. Because God loves working with his creation. It might be like me with Myron. He's my three-year-old. So Myron will come down and help me in the barn, right? So I'll be working on a project and Charity will come down like, oh, Myron, did you help your dad today? I said, yes, he did. He turned a one-hour job into three hours. But you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. And there's usually a lot of cleanup (laughs) when Myron helps me. Most of it is him spilling paint, doing this, but I'd have it no other way. To me, that's God. He grabs these high-level beings. Come with me. We're going to go absolutely stun Ezekiel. You're going to love this. Join with me. So that's why he does it this way. But that's a Matt Heverly. I don't know anyone else that believes necessarily that way. There is the divine, that that side of us joining with God um, side of things, but my thought. So take it for what you want. Verse 26, and above the expanse, over the heads, over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, that same word again, never used before, made it up. He has to. Look at, in verse 26, likeness of a throne, likeness of a throne, likeness of human appearance, right? As it were gleaming metal. Ezekiel's just trying to describe the indescribable. We try to make these crazy pictures of it. Ezekiel's like, it's just kind of like this, kind of like that. He's not sure. And downward from, from what had the appearance of his waist, like, I think that's his waist, but I don't even know what that is. 
I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him like the appearance of a bow that's in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. So he sees this crazy thing and then he ends by just saying, and it was like a rainbow. Where have we seen a rainbow before? Genesis? Why did God put the rainbow there? No more destruction. So this little rainbow, it's saying, it's foreshadowing. Listen, I know it's gonna be bad, but there's hope. There's hope. I'll keep my covenants. I'll keep my promises. There's still hope. The Godmobile is bringing hope to Ezekiel. And then, last little phrase, such was the appearance of the likeness. I love that. (laughs) How more like, (laughs) I'm not really sure what I'm seeing. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory kavod of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Fascinating. When does he fall on his face? Right? When the kavod of Yahweh shows up. The word kavod, literally, you know what it means? Wait. So Eglon is a guy the Bible calls, our translations say, a very fat man. Very fat is simply kavod, kavod. So if you want a superlative, very, you just double it in Hebrew. So he's a very fat man. So kavod, it, its literal meaning is weight, that God has a weightiness to him. And this weightiness, when Ezekiel feels the weightiness of God's presence, he falls on his face. And this happens, as I said last time, on his birthday, when he's supposed to be inaugurated into the priesthood, but instead of being in the temple in Jerusalem, he's by a sewage canal in a refugee camp outside of the most pagan, sinful city the Bible ever talks about. But when he's there, verse four says this storm, stormy wind, it's literally a ruach storm. You can take that word wind, ruach can mean wind or spirit or breath. This ruach storm comes out of the north, comes to him, and on it is this Godmobile, and then the weight of the kavod just knocks him to the ground. How cool is that? Let me give you two points and then we're done. Number one, this is really important to Ezekiel, and here's why. We today, we measure importance by some metrics. You're important if you have a lot of money. You're important if you are a thinker. If you have ideas and people want those ideas, you become very important. Or you're important because you have a position of power. That's kind of how we, that's our metrics for importance today. 2,600 years ago, here's how you measured importance. Your proximity to the gods. So the closer you were to the gods, the more important you became. Ezekiel is supposed to be super important. He had trained to be a priest. He was supposed to be entering into the priesthood. He was supposed to become a very important person in Jerusalem, but instead he'd lost all of his authority, all of his power, all of his purpose. And now on his 30th birthday, he's sitting there just in despair and agony thinking, oh my goodness, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And it's in that moment, what happens? God shows up. The proximity to God, closer than he could possibly imagine. His very kavod knocks him to the ground. God shows up on the worst day possible. Have you noticed that about God? That God almost seems to pick the least likely candidate, a depressed dude by a sewage canal in a refugee camp by a sinful city. God says, that's the one. We're gonna grab him. Have you noticed that? That's a theme of God. The unlikely candidate. Read Judges. Compare compares Samson to Gideon. Samson had everything going for him. Really good parents. Really strong guy, right? Killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. It's pretty amazing. 
carries the gates long way, super smart. Like he makes up these riddles, really intelligent dude, handsome, man, has it going on. But you know what? Samson never led a revival in Israel. He never united the people. Never did anything, really. Other than at the end of his life, taking out a temple and killing about 3,000 Philistines. But never defeated the Philistines. Take Gideon. The first time we meet, meet, we meet Gideon, guess where he's at? He's in a wine press, hiding, making a little food for himself because he's afraid of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, mighty man of God. And get, what does Gideon say? Where? Because we could use one right now. <laughs> no, you're it. What does he say? Uh-uh. I'm from the smallest tribe. My family is the smallest family and I'm the runt of the litter. And he probably was. And yet he leads Israel into 40 years of peace. The runt of the litter does. Saul versus David. Saul, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a giant among men. He looked like a king. Dude, looks like a king. Was he a good king? Nah. David, overlooked by his own dad. When Jesse comes to anoint kings, all the brothers are brought in, but not David. Why? Because he did not look like a king. Playing a harp. Wearing leotards, out in the sh- fold. No, no, don't call him. And he becomes the king. You just keep on going. God loves this. Why? Well, Colossians 1, 1 Corinthians 1 tells us. God loves to use the weak things of this world to confound the wise. Like, I love that. That is a theme. And what you see, it's right here with Ezekiel. We often think Jesus is looking for the pretty, together, on top of it, successful people. But in the Bible, who does God rush to? Right here, who does God rush to? A depressed dude in a refugee camp by a sewage canal. That's a very different narrative. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall receive the kingdom. I love that. I love that. Our feeling like we're not qualified very often is the qualification. And no matter where you're at, the Bible says this, that we should always remember the rock from which we are hewn. Never forget what you could have been because it's God's grace that you are who you are. That's the first thing for Ezekiel. The second thing is this. I just call it big God. We, I think, as Christians, can view God as a pedantic God, if you know what I'm saying, like God is kind of OCD in the way that you have to approach him, right? I'll explain it like this. Um, the soup Nazi from the Seinfelds. Who's seen that, right? <laughs> if you haven't, Google it. It is hilarious, right? It's a real guy that owns a soup kitchen in New York. That's who it's based on. And he has these rules for how you get your soup. And his soup is so good and everyone loves the soup so much that they actually obey all the rules he gives. So it's like, you have to come up, you have to keep the line moving. Rule number two. Rule number two, when you approach, hold your money out with two hands to him, right? Speak clearly and loudly your order and then move out of the way. Receive your soup, no compliments, no embellishments, and get out of the way. If you don't follow those rules, what happens to you? No soup for you, right? (laughs) I think we're very often... Believing God's like that. Like, I better do these rules just right. Or God's gonna be like, no soup for you. No kavod for you. Go for my presence, right? We get these kind of crazy ideas. At least I do. And Ezekiel would have them. He's stunned right here because God breaks all the rules. According to Ezekiel's training for 30 years before he ends up in Babylon, God can only come to the temple. God can only show up to a priest priest had to go through all these ceremonial cleansings and certain garments and Levitical system and and all this kind of formula before you could ever have the kavod. But instead, here he is, broken, depressed dude in exile in Ezekiel, and God's kavod shows up, breaks all the rules. I think churches and Christians often forget the simple message Ezekiel got right here. And we start to formulize how to get to God. 
God can only show up in this one kind of place or this one person. He's the only, she's the only person I can hear God through. And we kind of get like this way. And it's sad to me. Because God will show up by a sewage canal in a really bad city. And I think God likes to do that. And I know I personally struggle with this. And maybe part of it is like, when I first really engaged Jesus, I was at school and I got plugged into Campus Crusades for Christ. And they do some stuff that's so good. And I needed them at that point. But they also have lots of like, here's how you do it. Four spiritual laws. How do you evangelize? Four spiritual laws. Good system, nothing wrong with that, but not always gonna work that way. And when I said, well, you know, how do I grow? This is what they told me. Here's what you need to do. In the morning, read your Bible for at least 20 minutes. Pray for at least 10 minutes. And journal what you thought about and what you prayed about. Should take you another 10 minutes. And so for a period of time, those are all really good things. Really good things. Although journaling, you'll never find that in the Bible because in Bible times, the common person didn't have a pencil and paper. It was too expensive. So, hey, but it's, I'm not against a journaling. I'm not against any of those things. And, and for a while, that was super good for me. But here's what happened in my heart. After a while, I began to resent that. Like, oh, Really? Yeah, I got to read the Bible. I got to pray. I got to journal. All right, fine, I'll do it. You know, if this God makes God happy, I'll do it. Makes me miserable. I could have a lot better use of it at this time right now, but fine, I'll do it. All right. So I just started resenting this time, this, all right, I have to do this. And I'm really into Bible study. Don't get me wrong. I think prayer is hugely important. I think journaling is good. But something happened in me. And what happened in me was this. I started doing it to check a box, to make God happy, to get God off my back so I could go about my life. That's what started to happen to me. So my goal was, all right, God, I've made you happy. Now I'm gonna get on with my life. My goal was no longer, I wanna know Jesus. I want to know the thrice holy God. I wanna be set on fire with him. That wasn't my goal anymore. My goal had gotten misguided and now it's just, I just want to do this thing that I've been told I'm supposed to do and to make God happy. That was my big mistake. And then the next level of mistake is this. When you start telling other people how you are supposed to do your walk with Jesus. Not that we shouldn't give advice, but I think we can get too pedantic in it, right? And so for me, this is, this is, this is how God has designed me. I love 5.30 a.m., black tea, and Bible study. Like, I love that. I've loved that a long time. That is really, really, really what I love. Like, that's what I love. I like reading chunks of the Bible, but there's something about like just getting into a smaller section and really thinking it through and taking it apart and chewing on it. Man, I like that. But if I have a young person come to me and they say, you know, how do I grow in Jesus? If I said this, well, what are you doing right now? Well, I get up at 5.30. Hey, that's the right time. <laughs> You're starting out right. I, and, and I make myself some tea. What kind? Black. Perfect. Right? And then I put some cream in it. What? God will never speak to you. You pansy. You cannot have cream in your cup. Right? We get that way. So what I say now, and I'm real careful on this, I say, there should be the Bible and there should be prayer but I say, what actually enlivens you to Jesus? What makes you stoked about pursuing your king? What sets you on fire? What causes you to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. What causes you to do that? Tell me that. Nothing. Okay, you gotta start trying some stuff then. Or, man, this does. And there's a book I read by Gary Thomas, if you want it, get it, it's good. And it's called Sacred Pathways. And what he does is he goes through 10 different kind of personality types and shows like these personalities, they're gonna resonate with God in a different way. And just because they resonate with God in a different way doesn't make it bad. It just makes them who they are. So there's intellectual people and there's ascetic people, and there's senses people, and there's intelligent people, and there's traditional people, and there's active people, and there's enthusiastic people, and there's caregiving people. And each one of these personality types, what you're going to find is the way that they're walking out their faith with Jesus might look just a little bit different, and that's really good. Because God's a lot bigger than you and I can ever imagine. He's a big God. 
He's not the soup Nazi. And his thing is, come join with me. Partner with me. Let's walk this thing out. And yeah, we get guidance from scripture. And I'll tell the older people that are like, yeah, you gotta read your Bible. Yeah, true. But take me to the book of Acts. Were those guys carrying around Bibles? No. You couldn't afford a Bible. Scroll of Isaiah in today's terms would be 50 grand. An entire Bible, million bucks, right? They got their Bible one day of the week on a Sunday. And they would pay really close attention because they were a verbal oratory crew. And what they would do with what they heard on Sunday, they would listen to it and they would memorize it. They'd put it to memory and they would talk about it with their friends and with this community that they were involved with throughout the week. And they would just tear it apart and chunk it together and think about it. And they would come back to elders and pastors and people and be, hey, I've been thinking about this. What do you think? That's what they would do. Most people believe because they couldn't carry around a Bible. No one did. And then the next Sunday, they'd get more, and they'd be like, yeah, that fits in this way. Oh, I love that. And you know what I think they did a lot of? They prayed. I think they prayed in a way that the modern church has no idea of. And it was that group of people that turned the world upside down. It was that group of people that changed history. Yeah, they had the Bible, absolutely, with good teaching, So there is ways that we should learn to resonate with Jesus and say, what really enlivens me to him? I don't want to do the soup Nazi thing. I want to study and learn like God has designed me. And I want to go for it 100%. I think we have dumbed down things in Christianity where it's now like, um, and grace is so important and so huge, so please take this with a grain of salt, where grace like covers laziness, and apathy. And I think it should not, right? Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Timothy is told, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That's the Bible. And so whatever it is, if apathy is actually keeping us from Jesus, that's a sin. If laziness is keeping me from things that enliven me to Jesus, that's a sin. Just call it what it is. I'm just lazy, and I don't want to read my Bible. And I don't want to pray. We'll call it what it is. Confess it and say, God, change me. I want to burn like these burning ones. I want to be like Ezekiel and see your glory come down. My prayer is that as we study through this book, each of us has a Ruach storm. That God storms into our life in a way that burns us and transforms us so that we become conduits of that transformation to Grant's past into our kids, into our wives, into our families, into those that are around us. We just have a Ruach storm. It'll probably happen in a way that you never imagined, like Ezekiel. That's why I'm teaching this book. So be enlivened to Jesus. Chase him strongly. Find out how you resonate with him. If it's laziness and apathy, admit it. Confess it and be cleansed from it. And move forward in your pursuit of Jesus because you can have a Ruach storm that will change your life. And so, Father, I thank you for chapter one of Ezekiel. I pray that we would never use grace as an excuse not to pursue you. I pray that we'd be careful in how we view you, that the caricature of you as a ogre, an overbearing, vindictive being would be cured by chapter one, that you're this good God that wants to meet us and bring us to you, to partner with you, to work with you, to change what's right in front of us. And so this day, Lord, I pray for those in here that maybe apathy and laziness has gripped their hearts. 
And they've forgotten the burning passions that can happen when we are close to you, when we're in proximity to you, when your kavod envelops us, when we're hit with your ruach. I pray for those of us that are there, Lord. I pray that you would even this night be exhorting us to love and good works, to knowing you, to studying you, to praying to you, that prayer would become our lifestyle. That we could take the command of scripture to pray continually as a goal. That's what we wanna do. We wanna pray continually because our hearts have become so inflamed with your presence. I pray for those of us in here that are just figuring out, like, what does this mean? I pray that you would gather around mentors and people that have a really healthy relationship with you, that they would guide in a way that is generous because you are so generous. I pray for any in here that feel like Ezekiel on his birthday, depressed, alone, purposeless. Lord, I pray even now for your ruach, your spirit to come upon them and for them to feel you and know you and understand that they are loved and that you have created good works for them in advance for them to walk in and that they are your workmanship, your poem, and that you're writing something more beautiful than they can imagine, that one day they will join with you in a heavenly council, ruling and reigning over the very universe, doing new, creative, incredible things like we were designed to be. So encourage. I pray that we would go from here able to be ambassadors of this great kingdom that you have made us a part of. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.